This book is about that great engine of history that gets presidents elected, assembles armies, and sends men to the moon. Here it builds an Eiffel Tower, there it dams a Yangtze River. We find it sending foreign aid one day, only to wage war the next. For better or for worse, it moves mountains, literally and figuratively. What is this it that sounds so omnipotent yet unpredictable? It is, as the historian J.M. McNeil put it, easily the most important idea of the 20th century. He might have added that it was already a pretty important idea in the 19th century and certainly is no less important in the 21st. This big idea, this engine of history, this most godlike of government goals is economic growth. Economic growth holds the most prominent spot in domestic policy matters and arguably in international affairs. Sadly, for many people, the syllables econ conjure up such boring memories that serious public dialogue about economic growth is like a baby thrown out with the bathwater. This is probably due to the tedious way economics is taught in high schools, colleges, and universities. It's a shame because so much of our world, both good and bad, is linked at the hip with economic growth and more dramatically by the day. None of us are immune to its effects. They say, a rising tide lifts all boats. But with economic growth, we're all in the same boat, navigating a rising tide. In another sense, we do occupy different boats. Some are luxury liners, while others are skiffs being thrashed about in their wake. Either way, the seas are rising and we're all at sea. Economic growth was a good goal during most of human history, meaning it was good for humans in general, no doubt. But the central thesis here is that economic growth has become a bad goal at this point in history, especially in the United States, Western Europe, Japan, and other highly developed nations. We are at a crossroads, that is not only immensely important socially, it is perhaps the most important crossroads in the history of public policy issues. Politicians and economists who continue to advocate economic growth often mean well, but do not understand the implications. They tend to have no background in the sciences most relevant to economic growth at this point in history. Meanwhile, there is an insidious system of government, especially in the United States with its approach to campaign financing, that will tend to uphold the goal of economic growth regardless of its merits. Yet most citizens are starting to get the sense that something is amiss. Common sense and general experience tell them that something just doesn't square with the political rhetoric that there is no conflict between growing the economy and protecting the environment. At the same time, more citizens are seeing that their own grandkids' economic welfare depends on us protecting the environment today. Few things demonstrated this as ruthlessly as British Petroleum's Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which threatened many 
and stole some potential jobs of future shrimpers, oystermen, and a whole chain of service sector workers dependent upon healthy fisheries in the Gulf of Mexico. Could it be that something is wrong with the sheer immensity of our national and global economies? Of course it could, and the sooner we recognize it, the better. Fortunately, there is a clear, realistic, and sustainable alternative to economic growth that citizens and consumers can demand and attain. It's an economy that neither grows nor shrinks within reasonable bounds. It's called a steady-state economy, and this prospect should give us hope and courage in a world gone crazy on growth. We can demand an end to economic growth and pursue the establishment of a steady-state economy. We should demand it first in the United States, Europe, and some Asian countries where we can most afford it, then in the rest of the world.